Hello, welcome. Thanks for joining us on the Arsaholics. Again, you've got Aaron and, and myself. Sorry, you're being shortchanged, but we'll try and compensate. Uh, Aaron, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to another masterclass in two-way podcasting. Let's do it. We don't need mice. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we are, we're recording uh, a little bit a little bit later than we normally would do after a game, right? So we played Brighton um, about 10 days ago now, roughly. And there was a fair amount of fallout. We unfortunately couldn't record for various reasons. Mize had COVID. Um, Aaron, you, I think you're very busy with wedding stuff. But um, to be honest, you know, there was so much, there was so much fallout <laughs> on Arsenal Twitter after a draw um you know after winning three games on the bounce obviously a draw it isn't isn't the result everyone wanted but it was sort of a typical i think response from a lot of the fan base there was a lot of uh you know kind of various failings that perhaps have been relatively pervasive um which we can come onto a little bit i mean we don't intend to really go into much detail of the game as you know as we said it's been a little while but you know at a high level um it was it wasn't the greatest performance. It was a cold, rainy, very, very windy day in Brighton. Probably, you know, the team have kind of come off the back of a home victory with great weather, North London derby to this. I mean, Aaron, and can you put down some reasons? You watched the game live. I was on my way to yet another wedding. Um, but can you, uh, can you put some reasons down as to why we perhaps got a subpar performance after an epic one in the North London derby? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think I, I've swung from two extremes. One being, oh, we shouldn't drop points to Brighton because we should be, you know, maybe some of this is probably quite true in that we should be beating teams like Brighton if we have aspirations to be a top four team, top six team, whatever. Um, but also looking back, I I do actually think Brighton were really good that day. And ultimately, it was a well-deserved point. It was a fair point, I think. Um, they had a lot of the ball, but they, you know, I don't think they created too many high-quality chances. Um, but, you know, you'd probably say they were the better team on on balance. Why that happened, I, it's it's hard to say. I think you look at the two games, well, I think we played well, but also... Spurs played really, really badly for mm. the, bulk, the bulk of that game. Um, and then Brighton, where I thought we played okay, but also Brighton played really well. And and ultimately, we didn't really take any of our chances. We didn't really create much of note. But, you know, we I thought we defended relatively well for the majority of the game. We, we stopped them from having any high-quality chances. And ultimately, we just still lack a bit of fluidity and sharpness going forward, which has been a bit of a underlying theme for this season i think so yeah i think the focus with going forward for the rest of the season and for this next kind of bunch of games will be how can we really fine-tune this attack to get the most out of the talent we have i think there's lots of stuff there that um i think we should we should really expand on because we yeah. can also expand on it in in the context of the games that have just gone as well and you know kind of some of these pervasive things that you've just mentioned but i mean i guess a couple just more you know, when we did the preview, we we sort of debated a little bit as to whether Brighton were actually a good team or not. Um, looking at their fixtures before the Arsenal game, you could have argued that Arsenal were probably their 
the hardest game that they had on paper. I mean, I think that they played Leicester and they beat Leicester at home at the Amex. But outside of that, um, you probably say Arsenal were, were, were sort of the, the biggest team that they played. Um, they managed to get decent results, but, you know, without Basuma and without a couple of other first team players, you know, it felt like we, we should, in theory, have given them a, a better game. But at the same time, do you think that that allowed them because because what ended up what, what it looked like to me was they the players that they brought in were a lot more physical a bit more of a uh, like a bigger profile and that kind of suited them down to the to, to the conditions which are you know windy wet rainy it wasn't a game for free-flowing football um necessarily do, do you think that we just kind of got cliche out muscled i don't think it was out muscled i think we got out out pressed mm. i think but watching the game i thought Brighton pressed us really well, especially in that first 15, 20 minutes. And, you know, we didn't really try to take them on. We off, It looked like when they pressed, we freaked out and just went back. And yeah. what that kind of did was just set the tone for the rest of the game, which was, okay, well, we're, we're a bit scared of your press and we're not going to try too hard to play out from the back because we think you're better than us impressing like we think you if you if you press us you might win the ball and that very much set the theme and i thought that midfield i mean my memory's a bit sketchy but i'm pretty sure it was Partey and laconga mm. yeah the started. only change for the north london derby was laconga coming in yeah i thought actually we're both pretty disappointing in in that that respect um we we should have been a bit braver i thought we were just very timid for whatever reason. I don't know if that was the occasion, the weather, the the North London Derby hangover, but we needed we needed to see more and we didn't really have that, especially in the first half where Brighton were very much on top. Uh, and, and how, I mean, how much of a concern do you think is it? Because, yes, you know, one of the big positives is forever how you know however poorly we, we, we played, we kept another clean sheet and that is... Um, you know, looking like a, a fairly regular thing with this new look back five. You know, we've had the last four games, we've conceded one goal, which was a consolation goal against Tottenham. Otherwise, we look pretty resolute at the back. Um, but, but you know, having Partey, who is a physical player, Lokonga isn't a small guy either. You know, not. <laughs> I would have hoped they could have imposed themselves a little bit better in a game like this, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think that's, like you said, I think you're spot on there. The encouraging thing was even when our midfield, you know, at times got overrun or outplayed or outpassed or outpressed or whatever, the defending, the defence, you know, stood their ground and did whatever they could to limit the quality of chances that Brighton had. Yeah, they had a, a couple of decent chances and they did have a lot of the ball, but they weren't really creating, you know, they weren't cutting us open all the time. A lot of their shots were, you know, they had a lot of half chances and you could argue on another day, one of those half chances goes in and we, we go behind, but you know, we defended sensibly. And I think, you know, a huge part of having a good defense is just not having defenders that consistently make errors. And this is, so far, for me at least, the theme, and I'm you know, probably jinx this now, but the theme that I've the the theme that I've got from this defense is, you know, they might not be the at the top elite level of defending, right? They're no Virgil Van Dyke, 
you know, Ben White's not Van Dyke, Gabriel's not Van Dyke, but they're not David Luiz or Mustafi either in terms of making errors. And that automatically probably gets you six to nine points every season because we're so used to just bad defenders costing us points. And these yeah. guys hopefully won't consistently do that. They're going to make mistakes and that's going to happen. Ramsdale will probably at some point drop a clanger. Um, Gabriel, you know, there's been issues that there've been close calls with Gabriel and Ben White where they've, you know, had the odd chance and gotten away with it. But hopefully I hope they aren't as error prone as some of our previous centre-backs. Uh, is this a bit of the Arsenal uh, scars coming out here, right? Like, you know, because yeah, it's one hand, obviously comparing, comparing them to Virgil van Dijk, which I completely agree. They're not Virgil van Dijk. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'd probably say at the moment, at least they all look like a good set of defenders, right? Not, you know, which is which is a bit different to saying that, you know, they're not, you know, at least they're not Mustafi, at least they're not Louise. I think, you know, for me, it looks like we've got a set of um, technically competent, um, intelligent defenders. I'd probably also go as far as saying, I mean, some of these very, very top centre-backs that you think about, if you look at Virgil van Dijk, if you look at how good Rudiger's playing at the moment, for example, I mean, how good were these players when they were 22 and 23 and 24, which is, you know, essentially the age profile of, you know, the likes yeah. of Gabriel and, and White. Look, I'm not saying that they're all going to end up being absolute world beaters. Um, but but I think it is important. You, you, you raise a really important point about... Um, the fact that these guys will make mistakes, Ramsdale will will make mistakes, and you know, hopefully, the fans in the stadium, away fans and the home fans, you know, when we are at the Emirates, can just keep supporting them like like that we have because I think it felt like even for a wet, rainy, cold day um, at Brighton, it still felt like our away fans were there and and putting up a decent voice. Yeah, yeah, I've heard some stories about how difficult it is to get away from Brighton because I think they're at. I don't want to say they're they're slightly outside of Brighton. I'm trying to say Farnham or Falmer or something. Falmer maybe. Um, and um, yeah, it's an absolute pain in the backside to get trains out of there from what I've heard. So anyone who made that journey has my full respect. And I hope they didn't have too much trouble getting in and out. It's a good night out though in Brighton. It's good fun. So they could have yeah, just, yeah. just stayed. Well, they could have just stayed. Yeah. When was it? It was a Saturday night. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Probably what a lot of people did, to be honest. Yeah, and I mean, so let's move on from the the game itself, right? Because um, we we've come off four games. You know, we're, we we're breaking this season up into convenient chunks. There was the pre-transfer window closure. There was the which international happen, break, which right? didn't that happen was, yeah, exactly. Pre, that was pre-season, yeah. That <laughs> you know, we don't talk about that. That kind of vortex, that whatever you want to call it. Yeah, we forget about it. There is this little period that's gone. 10 points out of 12, um, fine. Like, you know, you could you could argue Norwich, Burnley are, are teams that we should beat anyway. We've got the North London Derby and, and away at a team like Brighton have done okay this season. What do you think? 10 points out of 12, are you happy? Yeah, definitely. I, I remember very clearly, I said, look, when we would lost those first three games, it was actually, the, I looked at it as the next three rather than the next four, which were Norwich, Burnley, Spurs. And I said, if you, oh, I think what I said was, if you lose to Spurs, you're in big trouble. If you beat Spurs, you're fine. 
and he did that. And I think the the first two Norwich and Burnley were also very good wins, and it was important we got the three points. I would have liked to see a bit more of a performance, but I think the North London derby win buys you that time to find that performance because of the level at which we hit against Spurs. You know, it was the right performance at the right time for Arteta. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's really good. It's a shame we couldn't just round it off with a, a third win, but for a fourth win. But I think, um, you know, Mikel Arteta even got nominated for manager of the month. He won. He won it. He won. Oh, okay. he won. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know how or who decides these things and if it's just another Arsenal Twitter uh, thing, but... okay, yeah, you're being a bit harsh, aren't you? Come on, like, he, he, no, he's, no. The, he's the only manager who won all the games that he had in the month that was being judged. Oh, because Brighton was October. I think Brighton fell into the period that yeah wasn't right. being judged. Was, okay, was that yeah. was that the, was it the yes? It would have been second of October. Yeah. Okay. Right. Fine. And yeah, fair enough. Um, he won. He played three, won three, conceded one goal. I think so. Hmm. Can't can't really complain. I think, and we'll probably go on to this, this next bunch of games is, is going to tell us a lot. Um, but no, I'm very, very impressed. I think it was very important after that first three. You know, even if you look at that first three games, it was it was a Brentford game that really let us down. I think if you'd beaten Brentford at the start of the season, then this whole kind of post-mortem that we did after the first three games would would have been quite a straightforward conversation of, okay, we beat Brentford, but we lost to Chelsea. We lost to Man City. They're two teams that are going to be better than us. And then since then we've beaten pretty much everyone else we should have beaten or, and then had a tough game away at Brighton. And um, unfortunately that didn't go away, but we came away with a point and that's not a bad start to the season. So yeah, I'm, I'm certainly happy. I'm certainly seeing the benefits of playing once a week and not having midweek European football. And I really hope, we'll start to really see the benefits of that with other teams dropping points come this next batch of games. But my main takeaway is we probably would like to see a bit more in the attacking side of things. Yeah, and I mean, let's go on to that. So Norwich have played seven games and they have lost six. They have drawn one. They are also the only team in the league who have scored fewer goals than Arsenal. Oh wow! I didn't know that. That's the stat for you. Yeah. No. Well, you know, I'm the devil's in the detail a little bit because actually, what it is is that Norwich have scored two goals, and then there's a bunch of teams that have scored five, (laughs) and and Arsenal are one of those teams. But only Ah, five goals. You know, only five goals out of seven games. Still, Um, three of those in one game. You know. Um, When we look at this period that's just gone, and you know, we. I think we've talked about our defence. We've talked about this back five over the last few podcasts. I think there's almost a, no, not too much more that needs to be said about that. But how, how concerned, now looking forward, when we look forward to the, this coming bunch of games, how concerned are you about the attack and, and how how that's coming together? I'm not overly concerned because I believe we have the players now to score goals. I think we look at the attack and we're primarily like we've settled on a front three, four, like three or four players that pretty much look like they're going to start every game, bar the the one or two like changes here and there. And that's kind of Abamyang up front. And I'm really glad, you know, we have decided that Abamyang is our striker and we're not doing this Lacazette versus Abamyang thing every game. 
Um, then we have players, you know, it's basically after that, it's Odegaard, Saka, Smithrow, and then Pepe. And I think between the four of them for three places, they'll all kind of rotate in and out hmm. of that, of those positions behind Aubameyang. And then we have players like Lacazette, Martinelli coming off the bench. And I think that's, that's not a bad attack. Those aren't bad players. And it, it was very different, I think, when we were, you know, playing Lacazette as a number 10 and, you know, playing Aubameyang on the left wing or right wing, playing Saka all over the place and not really settling. It sounds like we've kind of started making decisions on how the attack should be in terms of personnel. So now it's just about will those personnel, will those players get you goals? And do you think they're capable of getting you goals? And I think absolutely yes. Um, We saw it against Spurs when it worked out. We just need to see that happen more consistently and in games where you don't get acres and acres of space to play because you're not always going to get that. I thought Odegaard was pretty disappointing on uh, the game on the Saturday against Brighton. And mm. we a lot of this, a lot of the success of this team will basically depend on Smith Rowe and Odegaard making things happen. Yeah, I agree with you. For me, um, this international break was really timely. Uh, it, it, we needed the international break the last time it happened, and I think we needed it this time as well because I, th- I feel like after three games on the bounce, when then suddenly you draw a game and the momentum drops slightly, I think this couple of weeks is probably going to allow Arteta to regroup the players and just be like, oh, hang on, hang on, let's carry on doing the things that we were doing well. Let's think back to that Tottenham game and not, not you know, and that correct a few things that need to be corrected early doors. Um, th- this being said, I will, I will challenge you a little bit. Um, you seem confident that, you know, we've got the tools to score goals. Um, but again, going back to the fact that we've had seven games scored five goals three have been in one game uh, playing devil's advocate couldn't you argue that that game was purely a, a product of everything going right for us everything going wrong for Tottenham and what other you know if, if we take that game out of out of consideration um do you do you really you know do you really think that these guys have shown you enough to make you believe that we can we can score goals yeah it's it's a fair challenge I think Ultimately, you look at in terms of personnel, you look at that attack. Yeah, it's not the attack that's going to win us a league. Mm. I think that's that's clear. But is this an attack that is good enough to get us uh, a reasonable number of goals, you know, which are probably enough to get you fifth, sixth place? I don't know what the average number of goals required for fifth or sixth place. So, and if we go at the current rate, I would definitely feel like it won't be enough. But mm. do I think, you know, I think. Put it this way, if we don't get the attack working, I think it's very much about the tactics rather than the personnel. Mm. And that's and that's that's what I mean. I don't think change like you could change players, you could improve them, but are you really gonna find a better wide player than Bukayo Saka? Are you really gonna find a better number ten than Odegaard? Are you really gonna find better players than Smith Rowe? Are you gonna find a better striker than Aubameyang to come in and drastically changes look we're not going to go and sign Lukaku or something like that right so we have good players we we have promising young players and yeah they'll have off days but if it isn't working I think it becomes much more of a tactical issue than a personnel issue 
And it's a it's a fair challenge. And you know, it's a, I think it's a really fair response back. Uh, I particularly agree with your point on if you list some of those players out there, uh, how how many wide players are there that are better than Saka right now? There are some. Don't get me wrong, there are. Yeah. But but you know, in in trying to achieve the goals that we are trying to achieve right now, which I think that we'd say if we finish top six, we'd probably be happy. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 probably you're right. It's probably the tools that enough tools given that we're not in Europe to, to achieve those things. I agree with you. Actually, if we, you know, if we look a little bit now at just what's been happening in this international break, that's been very encouraging because actually all of these players have scored goals aside from yeah. Odegaard, all these names that you mentioned, you know, Pepe scored, Aubameyang scored, Saka the scored. Big, the big one, right? It, yeah. And the one I've oh, yeah, 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 yeah. ESR scored it's, and? No, and Thomas Parker. There you go. <laughs> exactly so goals goals are coming so it like you know everyone seems to have their shooting boots on um over the international break so hopefully it's a case where they come back with uh, a little bit of confidence knowing that they can find the back of the net um and and actually just just on that what was slightly concerning um is obviously e- well, this bit wasn't concerning. ESR scored this absolutely magnificent counter-attack goal um, for England yeah, where, geez, I mean, he looks so, so, so fast. Um, mm. And we, we've seen him have crazy changes of paces, um, you know, in small doses. But I don't think I've seen him sprint the length of the pitch at a pace like that. Um, you know, it was quite frightening and a good finish and a man-of-the-match performance in the end. Um, the slight concern was the bandage wrapped around his knee at the end of the oh, game. I didn't see that. Yeah, I don't think it was anything that seemingly stopped, you know, was, it, I don't think it qualifies as a as a big injury per se. I don't think there was much concern about it. Um, but, let, I mean, hoping for the best, um, if if we decide to be precautionary, that could see Pepe come back into the fold, I'm guessing, for the Palace game. Um, if, let, let, let's just, I guess, shift our thoughts to the Palace game before we kind of look at the next group of fixtures holistically. We're back at home. Um, the players are, are going to have some really good positive memories of being at home recently, right? Like, you know, mm. the, the the Spurs game, but obviously even Norwich, we played well before and, and the Wimbledon game had great atmosphere, really good, good memories. And I think the boys will be, will be up for it. Um, you know, what, what do you, what, what do you see? I mean, do, do you, do you see, assu- assuming if, if Smith throws fit, I presume, do you go with the same 11 that played against Brighton? Do you make any changes? I would, yeah, I think I would, I would probably go with the same, the same 11 playing Lukonga and Partey. So you will go for this 4-2-3-1 as opposed to going back to this 4-3-3 that he's tried a little bit. Yes. Yeah. I think it, the reason I like it is because it just gives us an option off the bench as well. Mm. And increasingly, I think football isn't just about, you know, play your best 11 and, um, win the game in the first 60 minutes or whatever. It's about, okay, well, this is the first 30 minutes. This is my plan. This is the plan to half time. This is the plan for the first 15 minutes of the half. And this is my plan for the last 15, 20 minutes of the the second half. And I think having someone like Pepe coming off the bench, or it doesn't have to be Pepe. Pepe could start, bring Smith Rowe off the bench, is such a powerful um, like substitution to make. As opposed to if you play them all, then your options for changing it become, you know, you can either bring Lukonga on if you're winning, which is fine, but you then struggle because, you know, then you can only really bring on Lacazette or maybe Martinelli. And that's 
that's a bit different. So I think Arteta will probably favour the more balanced approach and the more balanced um, midfield. But, you know, having that 4-3-3 would also be a lot of fun. So it'll be really interesting to see. And, and I think the, the other good thing about this, actually, now you mention it, is the schedule is a bit weird for us over the coming couple of weeks, but actually probably quite beneficial because we're the, I guess we're the late Monday night game of this weekend. But I think that's probably quite good because our players are getting back from international yeah. duty. So whereas, yeah, players are coming back on Thursday, we've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday to prepare for the game. You know, it's not an advantage because Palace players probably also have the same thing. But if you compare ourselves to, you know, the teams playing early on Saturday, for example, that's a big advantage. And then, funnily enough, we're then the early game the next week. So we play Monday night and then Friday night of that same week. And then we don't have any European football, so we can we can sort of do that. So it's a bit of a weird, a weird week of football. But yeah, so we're not actually going to have a weekend game for a, a little while. But yeah, um, yeah, very very much looking forward to the game on Monday. It feels like it'll be it'll be a game where well, it'll be a, this the, the Monday Friday combination. I think if we win on Monday. It'll be really, really, really good. Momentum is there, and you yeah. know, kind of. Uh, I worry if we don't get the result that we want from Monday, mentally regrouping to on paper what is a, a better team, um, you know, a Villa in theory. But I mean, I guess look, just just go, just going back to the Palace just game for now. Palace are an interesting team, aren't they? Obviously, right now they are sort of every Arsenal fan second team because of the Patrick Vieira connection. Yeah. Um, and um, but they're an interesting one because. They've basically drawn a bunch of games. Um, they've won one game this season, you know, where they batted Tottenham, but that doesn't count because Tottenham get battered everywhere they go. Yeah. And hey. so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, so, yeah. So, a bit of a difficult team to suss out because, you know, against Brighton, although they drew, they played ex- extremely well. Um, Conor Gallagher is, you know, is, is doing really well for them. They seem to, like, Vieira slowly is is clearly building a team that is responding to what he's trying to do and they they look okay. Um, but what do you think? Do you think we, we should be beating Palace? Do you think it should oh, be Oh, yeah, epidemic? should we be yeah. beating them? Absolutely. Um, no disrespect to Palace or Villa. Um, we should be beating them both. We're at home. I think, ultimately, there are very few teams we shouldn't be beating at home comfortably. I think, and you know, mm. you know, I'd say if Liverpool come there, City and Chelsea, you'd probably say the teams that I'd be dis. I'd be like, okay, fine, we couldn't beat them at home, but other teams, even Man United, if they, if and when they do come here, I'd be disappointed if we don't beat them because when we're at home, I expect us to to do well. So yeah, should we? Yeah, we should absolutely be looking to beat Palace. Palace are, like you said, a bit of a weird team. I just don't know what you get with palace sometimes they're like really dynamic and really going for it with zaha doing all sorts of crazy things and then the next they just really limp and really weak and very passive um so yeah i think let's see i mean i hope you know Vieira takes them to new heights but not on monday <laughs> yeah look, look, i totally agree and it'd be interesting to see what ta- what kind of tactics he deploys against us um it's a it's a it's a it's quite a difficult one to predict i find um yeah basically because you know for, for him he's probably in a situation where he's probably thinking well I, I i do need to think about getting i do i do need to think about 
points and whether it be just even even getting the one point for a draw can he afford to get to set up for for a win and you know and 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 risk losing and risk losing badly i, I figure like he does he does still need to inspire some confidence in the team because you know how it is at the moment it's, it's kind of that really weird period of the season where where very quickly you can find yourself losing two or three games on the bounce um, you know, games start this period just coming a little bit thicker and faster. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you. I think in this little period that we've got coming up, and let's let's talk about the period in general. It's a bit of an interesting one because we look at the teams that we're playing. They're all they're all having really interesting seasons thus far, right? So you've got Palace, yeah. which we've just discussed. You know, basically draw all their games. We've playing Aston Villa, who are the opposite. They basically win or they lose. Um, mm-hmm. and, and equally, you're not really sure what you're going to get. We've got Leicester who, I mean, I, I don't know, Leicester coming or going, I don't know. They, are Leicester even a good team anymore? I'm not sure. Are they, are they just waiting to, to, to explode and be really good again? I, I'm not sure. And then I believe it's Watford that is the fourth fixture in the Premier League who, new manager, um, yeah. you know, who, who knows where they'll be by then. When you look at these fixtures coming up, um, you know, on paper, it feels like it's relatively kindish as a grouping. I mean, what what are your thoughts? What do you think we should be aiming for? What do you think we'll get? Um, I think the big thing is, you know, in that bunch of four, three of those games are at home. Mm. Um, to the three, you'd say, easier on paper teams, which are Watford, Villa and Palace. So that's good. Ultimately, I expect I expect us to win those three games at home. And then the Leicester away... Like you say, Leicester are a bit of a, a weird team at the moment. You know, I think they are... What what, I, what it looks like they're trying to do is transition away from this model of being get the ball to Jamie Vardy and score. <laughs> but that hasn't really worked. And all that's happening now is they're doing the get the ball to Jamie Vardy and score thing not as well because mm. the only person that's scoring now is still Jamie Vardy for them. Um, so it's it's a bit of a they're a bit of a, a weird team and then yeah they um yeah I, I can't help I, fun fact i did if you go back to the season preview yeah that we did i said the biggest disappointment underachievers this season would be leicester yeah oh, really i can't uh, remember that yeah, yeah, yeah i said leicester would be the biggest letdowns um but yeah, that's, that's, I, I can't. I, I, I'm sure I would remember because you love Leicester. Sometimes no, I think I you love Leicester like more Leicester, than Arsenal. But I think they they're going to try and do this rebuild, and I don't think they're going to like rebuild away from Jamie Vardy because they've signed. You know, they signed Pats and Daka. They signed um, a couple of other good players whose names I can't even remember now. But um, yeah, they. I just think Brendan Rodgers has probably taken them as far as they can go, and you know, even they really. You know, really should have just scraped Champions League mm. once to just justify it. And I think now that other teams have strengthened and, you know, the only way that they were going to sneak in over last season is because someone had underperformed. And I don't see anyone in the top four underperforming so much to let Leicester in again. Yeah. So I think with that, with European football, it's just they're facing the the weight of being a big club now. Like, yeah. And... They're not underdogs anymore. Therefore, teams set up differently against them. So, yeah, the game against when we play them will be really interesting because, you know, who are the, who are the, who are the underdogs there? Who are the favourites there to win? 
you know, if you go on league position, Leicester are favourites to win because they finished comfortably above us. But, well, maybe not comfortably, but they finished above us. Um, but based on players, based on, you know, the on-the-day performance, it could be could be anything. You know, we could easily get smashed. We could easily smash them. It's funny, isn't it? Because it it really doesn't feel that long ago at all. I'd even go, I'd even say it's even, you know, a few games ago, even after we had beaten Norwich, maybe even after we'd beaten Burnley. I think there was still a feeling amongst the the media pundits that, you know, Arsenal was still a team that mm, people weren't really sure about. It's very weird hearing a lot of them in the press now. Jamie Carragher said it recently. Paul Merson said it recently after heavily criticising Arsenal, you know, not that long ago. They both said that, you know, w- watch out for Arsenal in the top four race. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so, they're so fickle and so, um, yeah, I mean, is it, are you basically making the point that people flip-flop yeah, I, well, the time I, or is it just I, I, like it, no one really knows what we are or? Uh, to be honest, a bit of both. I think that, um, you know, in this context, when we're discussing Leicester, I think it's kind of an important comparison because, you know, when you're saying who goes in as the underdog in that game, well, actually, you know, if if the current rhetoric is to be believed and Arsenal are actually this team that could be challenging for top four, then actually, you know, we we should be the favourite going into this game. Um, but we are away, and I still think going away to the King Power Stadium is, is difficult. That being said, our record there isn't that bad. I think we won last season. I think it was a pretty good performance, actually. I think they went 1-0 up. Was it Yuri Thielman? I want to say he scored, yeah. and then we went on 1-3-1, I want to say. Bamian, Bamian scored. And... Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, Pepe scored. One. Yeah, I think, I think it, was a, it was a decent result. Um, so yeah look like on that basis what do you what do you predict for the Palace game what result and then and then how many points do you think we should be aiming for so, in what, the, in the what next I four? think what I think Arsenal are now or mm. what where I think we've landed is basically we're probably very similar to the team that we were at the second half of last season which is we'll probably just about do enough every single game to just keep routinely picking up enough wins to slowly climb the table. I think, but we'll have the odd draw, but I touch wood. I don't think we're going to like drop any massive like clangers where we get absolutely hammered two or three games in a row. I think we'll consistently pick up wins. So I honestly think we'll pick up 10 points from 12. So three wins and a draw. Um, you know, so we'll probably end up beating Leicester away, but end up drawing at home to, you know, Villa or something like that. So yeah, I think we'll beat Palace, draw to Villa, beat Watford, and beat Leicester. Okay, so so you, so you're going to go for ten points out of the twelve? Yes. And that would be pretty what good, to be honest, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, oh, yeah, before going awesome. that 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 would be pretty good. I, yeah, I, look, I um, the, the difficult thing is for me when when I think about Arsenal right now is it feels like unless the attack do start at some point, the attack is going to need to bail out the defense, and yeah. and at the moment, um, you know, over the last four games, the defense has been. You know the 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 main the main component of our success. Let, let's just call it yeah, that way, yeah. right? And you know, we, as we touched on, they are going to have bad a bad game. They may have bad games, plural. And 
what you know what you hope is that our, you know we can get our act together in a in a way in which actually that doesn't end up costing us games if that happens like if we because i have a feeling over the next four games we are going to see a game where the defense doesn't play well and we concede one or two i think that might happen in fact yeah. you know it w- i wouldn't be surprised if we concede a couple of goals to villa at home so, so, you know a game like that mm-hmm. um but i think if we if we concede a couple of goals to villa and if we if we win that game, um, I can certainly see us getting 10 points out of 12. You know, I think that, um, but I think if we don't, I think if we lose to Villa, I think, or I think if we, to be honest, I think if we drop points, I think if we drop points in any of these two games coming up, I'm not sure that Leicester would go very well. Um, and, and who knows the state that Watford and us will be in by that fourth game. But listen, if, if, I, if I'm going to go for a prediction, I'm going to remain optimistic because I do think we're, I do think that we're coming, uh, we're developing into a side that um, is going places. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I'm not saying right to the very top. I'm saying you know that this is a, I think we're, we're we're developing into a decent Arsenal side, and um, I think the Brighton, uh, I think the Brighton away game shouldn't we shouldn't think too much about it. I think the conditions in that game were were awful, and I think it's really, really, really important that when you have games like that, you draw. You know, yep. you don't yep. lose, and that should be what they take away. They should go, look, guys, we we were rubbish, but you know what? Uh, we drew, we kept a clean sheet, and that's what good teams do. And now we need to go back at home and just get that momentum. Um, I feel it's a professional group of players, an intelligent group of players. Um, I think we will. I think we'll beat Palace, but I don't think I don't think it's going to be a, a battering or anything. I think it could probably be like a one nil game. No, I think yeah, I think you might be right. I think, like I said, that second half of the season, I don't think we really battered anyone. We just kind of did enough to win the games. And yeah, yeah, the big worry, I think, like you said, we're not a we're not a Chelsea who can grind out consistent one nil wins hmm. here and there. Like we will have games where the defense costs us and yeah you're probably right we don't have the attack yet to bail out that moment and our defense isn't good enough to consistently keep clean sheets maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe we are but i don't think we're really going to develop into this you know prime simeone team that no yeah can <laughs> grind out one nil wins but yeah um and let's see mate because at the end of the day we brighton are a good side defensively yeah, right. yeah, they played really well. They fair play to them. They played if they play like that, they will challenge for top six just like we will. Wow, that's a big shot. You think Brighton could challenge top six, really? Well, if they play like that. I mean, if they consistently yeah. play like the way they did. I mean, well, they're second or third in the league now. No, I think so, they're like fifth or sixth. Um, are they? I think so. Oh. Um, I'll, okay. I'll just check that for you now. Um, but no, like okay. I wouldn't go as far as as as, as that. I think that um, yes, yeah, so they're sixth right now. Um, okay. Sorry, uh, fake news. Well, no, 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 in fairness, well, in fairness, they have fourteen points and and they are joint with Man City, Man United, and Everton, yeah. who are above. So them. If they'd beaten us, they probably would have been joint top, right? If they beat us, they would have been joint top. Yes, that's true. So um, we're, we're dealing with title conditions, <laughs> <laughs> but their fixtures have been fairly kind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but hey, listen, I think the, you know, your point is right. They're not bad. They can certainly defend well. And so that's why I think maybe, you know, what, let's not get too carried away about the fact that, you know, it was uh, a cold, wet, windy away day against a team who defend well. Um, yeah. Let's not worry too much necessarily about the attack. I think the proof will be in the pudding. If we, 
if we go Palace at home on Monday, and if it isn't a good attacking performance, then we probably have right to be concerned for the, the games coming up. But I think yeah. that my prediction for the games coming up is I think that we're going to win our home games. And I think we'll probably draw against um, Leicester because I think that I get the impression Arteta, if he wins the first couple of games, especially, I think he'll be really, I think he'll try and be quite cautious about it. And he'll try and say, okay, do you know what? Like, I've got six points already from this kind of little grouping of games. Like I'll take a draw. And I think he'd kind of just want to make sure that we don't lose um, personally. So I'm going to go 10 points out of 12, but um, yeah, look, I'm, I think overly, it sounds like the both of us, both of us are pretty optimistic. And I think that if you talk to most match going fans at the moment, I think everyone does feel that, that kind of bit of optimism, but you know, it it does feel me, I don't, you know, I don't know what you think when, when I scan through social media, um, and and kind of try and ascertain the views of all the fans everywhere and and even some of the some of the bloggers um you know some people would have you believe i guess that you know we this could be a, another disaster waiting to happen if if you know if if our defense starts starts creaking if they have a few bad games um then you know we, we probably don't have the attack necessarily right now in place to to get the points and then and then where do we go from there if we start losing two to three games on the bounce? Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, you're right. I think fine margins has never been more obvious, like more finer with this team. We're yeah. quite close to being a, a top four, top five team, I think. Um, maybe not top four, but top five, top six team. I don't think we're that far off. But we're also quite close to being a bottom half team as well. And... You know, in all of those games, you know, that you could just say, like, what if this happened? What if that happened? And you could overanalyze it. But ultimately, you, at the end of the day, you just have to look at the results and say, what did we do? And we don't really have enough data to fully analyze this Arsenal team that we've put together. Mm. But I think after the next four games, plus the cup game against Leeds, which we haven't really spoken about, um, we will know where... We'll have a good idea of where we're likely to finish if we are going to be this disaster, you know, fighting for top 10 team or are we actually genuinely going to push for top six, top five, maybe even top four? If we win, if we get 10 points out of the next 12 games, you know, we may even be top four at that point. Um, Yeah. Do you think if we get 10 points out of our 12 games, that will in your mind see us as a good side and see us as genuine top four challenges? Uh, I don't want to sound negative, but I, I don't think so. Mm. I just see Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, you know, Chelsea, Man United and Man City have spent a lot of money um, in terms of wages and fees. Um, and has, you know, United have gone and signed the, arguably one of the best players of all time and his maybe not his prime but still very much um top level um Chelsea has spent a lot of money Man City and Man City and then Liverpool are just a a really really good team are still kind of riding that wave of their best players being at the top of their game so for us to really sneak into top four something has to go massively wrong and you'd look at that top four now and you say the the most likely team to drop drop the ball is probably Man United mm. because you know they've just they've got but then 
you know, the way I see Man United this season is, you know, they're still not a great team, but they've now got this absolute superstar who can bail them out and pick up points single-handedly for them. So I, they would have to really drop their level and we would have to consistently increase our level to get anywhere near that. I, so, I, you know, I don't want to sound too pessimistic, but I think it's this team is just not there yet. Mm-hmm. But the good thing is, you'd want to see this team next season. Even if we don't sign anyone, this team should be a level better. Yes. And, and that's the good thing about signing better players is that this team should consistently get better, even if we don't add to the squad. Yeah, you're completely right. I mean, just again, um, you know, I agree with what you're saying around the quality of the teams that, you know, in, in theory, you, you Man United, Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool, completely agree with you that uh, on paper and and kind of as units, um, you know, they're, they're, they're better sides. But does it not come back to the thing that we've discussed kind of quite frequently, which is around this benefit of not having European football? Do we even need to be as good a side as those guys? Ultimately, we've seen them drop points. All of those teams have been dropping points every now and again, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll, I, guess that's, I guess that's my point. If we, if we end up being a side who ends up, for the vast majority of the time, beating teams that we should beat and then staying competitive with, um, you know, maybe try and get some takes and points off Man United, you know, maybe try and take a, a couple of points off some of the other teams in the other fixtures. Yeah. But let's just say even that doesn't happen. It's yeah. possible. It's it's possible we might sneak in there, but are we consistently good enough to do that thing of beating the beating the smaller teams, mm. the teams around us? And it's, it's that. It's beating the teams below us, but also beating teams like Leicester, beating teams like Spurs, Everton, and and those likes we shall see we shall see cool yes we shall all right well how about we call it we call it a day then um yes we've got yeah so you've still got we've still got a little while until our next game haven't we so um you know it is monday so we're going to see a number of premier league games play before that um and um and that'll be interesting to see are there any big fixtures this weekend coming up i don't think there are actually i was just looking the other day let me pull them up see if there's anyone i mean it's leicester man united which is interesting that will be interesting uh, then yeah nothing yeah if you look at teams around us i mean spurs are away to the new richest club in the world newcastle oh geez um, we, should, we should should we talk about that i feel like that's going to take oh, what let's ju- let's just <laughs> let's do five that's... minutes let's just do a quick five minutes on okay. Newcastle, because that has how have we how have we not been that's yeah, been mind blowing actually, wow. Um, so yeah, just in case you've been living under a rock, um, Newcastle have been bought by effectively like you know although they've managed to legally prove that they are um, they are not controlled by the Saudi government. We're basically talking about a Saudi investment fund here. Um, and if we look at the net worth of the people who are uh, who make up that fund, um, you're talking about a group of individuals who are richer than all of the owners of the Premier League combined. Not only that, they're richer than all of the other top 10 owners of any clubs, of any football clubs in the world. So you're talking about wealth that we have never seen before. And we thought we said we said that when Roman Abramovich came, we said that when you know, city owners came. You've now got a bunch of people who are taking it to another level. Um, and I know Newcastle are this likable, they're a very likable team in my opinion. It's a lovely city. I really like Newcastle, but 
But geez, mate, I mean, what do you think? Firstly, let's just talk about the ethics behind this very slightly. Um, how do you feel about it from an ethical standpoint? I don't like it at all. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, what, okay, there's, there's two things. Uh, so I don't like it. I don't like the fact that essentially countries are now buying football clubs. Um, they will argue that they have proven in the court of law that's not the case. Yeah, but let's be real. So it's, it's really like you kind of have to separate them. There's Man City, PSG, and now Newcastle, who are owned by three you know, states in the Middle East, states as in countries in the Middle East. Um, that, and now you, you know, I think then you have to ask the question, why would a country buy a football club, right? Or why would a country's government buy, essentially buy a football club? And the only real reason is sport washing, which is the idea that by doing that, you effectively use your clubs as marketing vehicles and ways to make your country look good and maybe hide some other things that your country is doing that's not so good. Um, so Abu Dhabi has been doing this with Man City. Uh, Qatar has been doing it with PSG. Uh, is it Qatar and PSG? I think it is. Um, and now on a whole nother level, Saudi are doing this with Newcastle. So I, I, I don't like it just for the fact that I don't think countries should be buying football clubs. Um, and then what I really don't like is the fact that, um, you know, in my opinion, I don't want to get too political here, but the, you know, Saudi Arabia have been accused of doing a lot of not nice things to a lot of not nice people, the government, not the people of Saudi Arabia, but the government. Um, and, I don't like that they're using Newcastle to hide all that. And I don't like how it's been just waved through essentially because it's Saudi Arabia and they seem to be having a lot of links with with FIFA, with UEFA, with Arsene Wenger, all that stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't like that. Um, and I don't, what I really don't like is, you know, the, you know, the proof that it's working is now if someone goes and attacks Saudi Arabia, you get a bunch of Newcastle fans defending Prince, uh, I can't remember his name, Bin Hammam, Bin, the Saudi Saudi prince. Like, what, how has the world, and how has this set of circumstances evolved that some random Geordies in probably a working class part of Newcastle are stepping in online to defend the Saudi prince, one of the richest men in the world, from attack by journalists? So do you, like, so, okay, so I, um, you know, I get sport washing as a concept and and i think in in theoretical terms i think what you've said is is correct but i mean i i find it slightly not far-fetched but if you're in a situation where you're this government that has been you know accused of so many various things over the years that your your image globally uh certainly amongst the west isn't isn't necessarily great um and you think okay how am i going to rectify it and you think okay buying a premier league football club and turning them into a really great side is going to on a global scale change the image of our country and allow people to ignore or forget the various things that they don't like us for do you really and, think that's realistic no but do you think that's realistic there I mean, who cares if a bunch of newcastle fans are, are 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 defending them on twitter okay it's a bit it's a bit it's you know there, there, there are different words for it i you know i want to say like hypocritical a bit a bit crass a bit you know whatever but is it it's not enough to change global image though is it 
I think what it does, though, is it gives them power to control the narrative a bit more. And I think the example I always think of is China. Now, when, again, I'm trying not to get too political here, but when Erzul highlighted the plight of the, the Muslims in that, I can't say the name, the Uyghur region of China, um, Arsenal basically bottled it and said, didn't say anything about it because they didn't want to upset China. Now, if let's just say, for example, Saudi Arabia did something really, really bad, okay, and all of the UK or all of the West or whoever was united against highlighting this this issue that Saudi Arabia committing mass atrocities against whatever. And I'm not saying they do or they don't, but let's just say it happens. Um, do you really think Newcastle would say something? Do you think Newcastle fans will stand against crimes of the Saudi Arabian government? Probably not. Yeah, probably Almost definitely not, not no, because they're yeah. not going to upset their owner. Yeah, um, and that—that's how they get away with it. That's how governments can do this. And there's one thing, and I understand. I'm not blaming Newcastle because I understand how you know we all know how it feels to have an owner that you probably don't like. And Ashley definitely seemed like one of the worst out there. Hmm. So by all means, be very happy that Mike Ashley is gone. But. You know, I think it's a shame that, you know, and as fans, you know, ultimately, if you're saying a, a multi-billion dollar empire is going to take over your country, your club and turn them into the best club in the world, you'd probably be like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. But someone needs to stop bad people from buying football clubs. And ultimately, it seems like the Premier League don't really care too much about it. Yeah, look, look I, I, I do agree but. I, I do agree on principle and I, I um I think it's an interesting one. I think there's lots and lots of like arguments around this. One of the things that frustrates me is suddenly this argument, which is being predominantly used by Newcastle fans at the moment, but there are other fans who are also sort of saying this. They're saying things like, Oh, look at everyone piping up right now, but they never piped up when you know, the F1 was in Saudi or this was in Saudi or 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 these companies have got um, you know, uh have financial interests in Saudi. You know, Uber has shares owned by so-and-so, X, Y, Z. They basically say this, and this really frustrates me because I sort of think you can't use stuff like that to then turn around and say, well, that means you can't complain about anything. Like, yeah. you never complained about that instant there or that particular thing there, so you can't complain about this bigger thing that's in your face because you should have done it before that makes no sense to me that's that's complete complete nonsense and i think that just needs to go straight in the bin and whenever you see anyone doing that on social media or, you know i always completely ignore discredit whatever um so that that that's frustrating and you know I, but i suppose on the flip side to this um it will just be very very interesting to see how this all does play out because ultimately financial fair play I know that it's been something that is, you know, it's not exactly, it's not exactly like the most uh, strenuous b piece of lit litigation. It's not, yeah. it's not exactly yeah. something that people haven't tried. But I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how this plays out, Aaron, and from the perspective of um, what Newcastle's owners decide that they want to do in terms of how fast they want to try and accelerate their ambition and what happens if they don't necessarily see their, their ambition going and i think the argument is what people are saying is well they won't care they won't care if it doesn't fail or it doesn't you know whatever but you know i guess where i'm going with this is do you think 
to go back to your question or, or, or your your almost plea of the world where you kind of said, you know, it, we, around stopping bad people from buying football clubs. Do you think one football club just needs to feel to, to, to just really, really, really suffer under an owner? Like, uh, you know, I'm talking about like an MK Don's kind of version, like almost relocating Newcastle to some random place, completely stripping the club out. Do you think that yeah. needs to happen to someone before there's change? Yes. Well, I think it will... Yeah, I don't. I mean, we've we've peaked now, right? We can't. Doesn't really get worse than this. I don't know. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I mean, who else can buy buy football clubs? But um, it's it doesn't get worse than this. And ultimately, when you, do I think do I want Newcastle to fail? No, of course not. I I think it would be really cool if there's another team fighting at the top level to mix it up alongside amongst the cities, Chelsea's, and and everyone else and. That's awesome, and if Newcastle can Newcastle that club, that that's cool. But I just don't like where the money's coming from. If another billionaire taking them over, like, let's just say, I don't know, Daniel Ek got really bored of trying to buy Arsenal, and he went and bought Newcastle. I think that'd be, you know, I'd be a bit annoyed, but I think that'd be really good for for Newcastle. Yeah. So it's not about Newcastle getting money. It's not about Newcastle challenging. You know, let's be honest. If they improve it's probably our place in the top four that's under threat you know our prospective place in the top four that you know it's another team that's going to be fighting us Mm. in the next two or three seasons but i think that's good for football i think um competition is good but i just don't like where the money's come from but what will it take for owners or so what would it take for the premier league to step in i i don't think there is anything i think sports authorities have shown it's not just the foot premier league like you said it's f1 going there anthony joshua's fought in riyadh um this yeah you know saudi arabia very much involved with fifa at the top level in terms of with uh what's his name the head of fifa and infantino who's mm. very good friends with the crown prince there so the the money is talking and the money is yielding significant influence and significant power for Saudi Arabia. Now, what they do with it is going to be very interesting. Um, will they do something bad with Newcastle? Pro- probably not. I just think they'll make a lot of expensive mistakes and that's okay because if they sign three or four bad 50 million pound players, they can just buy another three or four 50 million pound players and eventually they'll get it right. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, I think what it will take will be something to really go wrong. But I can't see what that is, and I can't see that happening because I think they've probably got enough smart people there. I mean, if they can convince the Premier League that the PIF are not the Saudi Arabian government, um, they can run a football club properly. Yeah. So we know it's happening. It's it's happened. Um, now... <laughs> You're right about Arsenal being potentially, you know, the club, one of the clubs. You think Arsenal, Tottenham, they're, you know, two of the clubs that would probably suffer the most in terms of the footballing hierarchy with another superpower. But, um, you know, I was thinking that in in the initial kind of instance, it it might be a little bit about, and I think I tweeted this a while ago, it might be a little bit about how when, when Man City first started getting their money and they started buying some of these players who were surplus, kind of surplus to requirements from the bigger clubs for a bit um, a bit of a premium. You know, like when they uh, when when we lost Torre, Clichy, Adebayor, etc. Do you think that could be the case with Newcastle? Do you think Newcastle could come in and start giving us lots of money for the likes of Alex Lacazette, Eddie, Nelson, Ainsley, Maitland-Niles? 
Uh, no, I think what they'll do is try and buy some big names, but not big players. So I don't know. I can see them buying like a, a Zlatan Ibrahimovic type player. Um, some of these like older pros just to get their profile up a bit okay. and to excite the fans. Um, like, you know, wouldn't rule it out. Like, let's say in a year's time when United are looking to move on past Ronaldo, they might sign a 39-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo or something like that. So I I don't think this is going to be a, I could be wrong, but like a perfect footballing strategy executed to like perfection. I think the first two, three years will be about, okay, well, how can we increase our profile on the bit on the world stage whilst becoming slowly competitive? So I think, you know, this season will be about, you know, maybe getting a top 10, top eight. Then the season after that will be, how can we become a European team playing European football? And I, you know, they don't need to buy the the granite jackers of this world. I mean, I think what they'll do is they'll probably buy a few big names just to get the fans on side, get the marketing in, and then slowly work their way up. But then in three or four years' time, they'll just go big. Because, you know, right now, the world's best players aren't going to go to Newcastle, right? But in two years, three years' time, they might. So you are, you know, you, you are effectively describing what was very similar to what Man City did do, right? I mean, the first signing was Rubinho, wasn't it? It was kind of, yeah. they, they, they were kind of just trying, they were trying to go for whatever they could get. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who would, who they could buy in with big wages, basically. Exactly. Um, who People who wanted money over success, short-term success. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Well, I mean, let's see how it all pans out. We haven't played Newcastle yet this season. Let's hope we, um, we let's hope we, uh, when, when do we, um, obviously we'll play them once before the, before the January transfer window, <laughs> but um, we want to we want to play them before they've signed Mbappe and Haaland, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So let's see how it pans up. But anyway, look, um, thanks. So we obviously, you know, we we when Aaron and I spoke before the pod, we we thought this was going to be a short one, and it was it was on track to be a bit of a short one. But then we completely forgot about yeah. Newcastle. I felt we we had to talk about it anyway, and I'm sure that won't be the last time that we talk about Newcastle this season. But anyway, look, thanks everyone for tuning in. We have got a, a really really a really crucial period coming up. Um, and yeah, let's hope for the best guys. So uh, if anyone is going to be at the game um, on Monday, Aaron, and you're not coming to the game on Monday, are you? No, no I mean, not. yeah, I can't come. Sad. Well, I mean, there's still tickets available, so I might still change my mind and buy a ticket, but no, you are, you've thankfully found someone to take my ticket. Absolutely. I have. Home. And um, yeah, look, and I guess a shout out to anyone listening. Um, it, you know, I, I, and I think I'm, I'm I'm assuming everyone listening to this podcast when you've got when you go to games you've got much better options. But just in case you don't have those options, please <laughs> please always feel feel welcome to drop us a message because there's always going to be one of us at least at the game, and we're always drinking before the game or 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 or, or and or after the game. So if you are at the Palace game, if you are the new car, uh, if you're at the uh, Villa game on Friday as well. Yeah, just drop us a message. Drop us a, like hit us up on Twitter or whatever. And if you want to grab a drink, please, please, um, yeah, get in touch. So yeah. cool. Oh, and actually, on that note, um, if you are listening and you could, if you could like, subscribe, you know, rate us on all the various platforms that you hear us on, that would be super appreciated. And let us know what you think. If you think we talk nonsense, you know, tell us about it, and we'd love to hear your feedback. 
Yeah, actually, I should shout. You know, we we went to that wedding on Saturday. Got some, there's a few people there who listen to the podcast. So, really appreciate that. I want to shout out Para, who I hope Para is listening. Um, he gave us some really useful feedback, and and you know, and I think that um, you know, one of the things that, that that he mentioned, but some some others have mentioned is, you know, around us potentially getting other people on the show, um, and and that is definitely something that you know we are, we are thinking about doing. Um, Look, we are nearly fifty episodes in, um, and we we never really we never really thought yeah. that far ahead. Uh, but you know, we've had some really really great um, people get in contact asking to collaborate. Um, a few people who I think would be really really cool to get on the show. Um, so it, it may well be be that. I mean, hey, look, we might have to if it's just going to be me and Aaron and all the time, right? And like you <laughs> yeah. know, when 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 the rest of the guys just drop out. So cool, sweet. All right, so I guess you know, watch this space. But uh, please, yeah, thank you everyone for your continued support and uh, enjoy the rest of your week, guys. Cheers. Bye. Bye.